0: Good morning and welcome to Palm Sunday at Prodigal Church. We're so excited. Today starts off the beginning of Holy Week. Throughout the week we will have short daily devotionals available on our app. It's pretty awesome that these are done by people in our church and they're going to help us reflect on the journey of Jesus as we head into Easter. Make sure you check it out. A week from today is Easter Sunday and we are going all out. We're going to have two services, one at 9:30 and one at 11. And in between we're having a huge Easter egg hunt, lots of candy and the Easter Bunny will be there. Make sure you invite everyone you know, we can't wait. We are still in need of a few volunteers in our PC Kids for Easter Sunday. So if you haven't signed up to serve, please do so now on our app, our website, or you can find Pastor Brittany after the service. Thanks for making this a great event. Small group sign up started last week and they will continue for the next few weeks. This is a great opportunity for you to get connected outside of just our Sunday service. There are a bunch of different groups that meet at different days and times, but I'm gonna highlight two this week. One of the groups is called Loving Our Religious Neighbors and it will meet Monday nights. We're gonna learn about some of the religious communities around us and how we can better love our religious neighbors. Another group is for our youth. It's called Prodigal Youth Blitz and for three weeks they'll be participating in some high energy activities like ice blocking, video scavenger hunt and an escape room. If you have a student, make sure they check it out. We offer small groups twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall so you don't wanna miss this opportunity. Make sure you check out all of our small groups either on our app, our website or on your way out of service today. After Easter, we're starting a fun new series called Big Reputation. It's a series exploring what the church is known for, why, and what we can do about it. I did hear that Taylor Swift is taking a break from her tour to come here to Prodigal and perform her hit Big Reputation just for us. You're not going to want to miss it. We're so thankful for your continued support and generosity. If you would like to give to Prodigal Church, you can head to our app, our website, Or you can find a giving box or kiosk in the lobby on your way out of service. We're so glad you joined us for Palm Sunday. We can't wait for Easter next week. Have a great Sunday, church.
1: Well, today is Palm Sunday and that means that Resurrection Sunday is just one week away. Next week at Bullard High School, we're going to have two services, a 930 and an 11, with a giant Easter egg hunt for the kids in between. Uh, and we also have an engaging online service for those who are part of our online audience. You are prodigal. We can't wait to celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God together. Also, we want to point you to small groups, uh, one of the things I'm most excited about and most really proud about for our small groups in spring 2023, is that there's not one of our small groups that's being led by a staff member, okay? This is the first time, honestly, it's pretty amazing. Now, we're gonna be attending some of the groups, we just won't be leading them, okay? And so they're gonna be just amazing. You can sign up on our app or our website. Uh, For the last two weeks, we have been going through some of the parables of Jesus. And when Jesus tells a story, he always does so with intent, okay? They're not abstract. Context matters. One of the best modern examples of explaining the, the importance of context is Rocky and Bullwinkle, okay? Some of you have no idea what this is, okay? This was a famous cartoon which aired on US television from 1959 to 1964. Now, I wasn't around back then, but in the 80s, when I grew up, they still had these reruns playing all the time, okay? And in Rocky and Bullwinkle, there was a couple characters. First, there was Rocket J. Squirrel, who, together with his companion, Bullwinkle J. Moose, saved the world, okay? Often, and for children, the show was funny. What's not to like about a moose and a squirrel teaming up to save the world? But what we missed as kids, was the social satire. I had no clue why the bad guys were named, uh, you know, Russian sounding names like Boris Badnov and Natasha Fatal. okay? I didn't know what a femme fatale was and Natasha's name just sounded exotic to me back then. And what I also missed and why cultural context is so important were all of the references to the Cold War. Along with puns on names the cartoon was engaging in, social commentary. I could appreciate moose and squirrel because they were funny, but I could not appreciate them fully because I missed the context. Such is the case for the parables of Jesus. For many of us, we've been taught that there's a simple truth contained in the parables. We've just got to find it. And so often, we miss the context. And Merriam-Webster doesn't really help us with this, okay? Webster's Dictionary defines a parable like this, usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And that might be true to Webster, but this is not the way Jesus used parables, okay? And for more on that, you can listen to the first two sermons in this series. Parables upend us, they're not direct, they're not clear, they make you think, they're not a Saturday morning cartoon for kids once we come to associate the parables with children's stories, it becomes difficult to see them anything but. Uh, The point is less that they reveal something new, that they tap into rather our memories, our values, our deepest longings, how we see the world. And so they resurrect what is very old and very wise and very precious and often very unsettling. Uh, This morning, I want us to take a look at a parable known as the Parable of the Great Banquet. Now, one thing I want us to keep in mind as we move through this story is who is Jesus talking to? What's the context? Okay. He's right in the middle of a discussion with some religious leaders in first century Judaism, and these religious leaders are known as Pharisees. In fact, Jesus is over at one of the Pharisees' houses for dinner when he tells this very story. I love that Jesus not only wined and dined with the uh, sinners and the tax collectors and and all of the, the naughty people in first century Palestine, but he also loves the religious people. He longs for them to understand what it means to be a true follower of God. And Jesus here is sitting at a table in the midst of this amazing dinner party held by one of the most prominent members of society. Okay, this is the context. And this morning's parable is found in Luke chapter 14. He's invited to the house of a Pharisee, the religious elite at the time. And while he's on the way to the house, he encounters someone who has abnormal swelling. Okay? That can be a very uncomfortable thing, and it was a, sh- a shameful thing in the first century. Jesus heals him, but it happens to be on a Saturday, okay? which is the Sabbath, and there's a big religious rule at the time that you don't heal on the Sabbath. You do no work at all, and so Jesus heals a person. It- it's a good thing for him to heal, but it is a bad thing for religious propriety and following the letter of the law. What's more important, healing someone or obeying the letter of the law? Jesus made his choice, but the religious elites don't like it one bit. In his time with the religious Pharisee, it's not really off to a good start, right? He's already uh, have one strike against him. And after their showdown on the streets, they make their way to the dinner banquet. He then gives some unsolicited advice about seeking the lowest seat at the banquet rather than the highest seat. The traditional Jewish banquet table was set about six inches off the ground and it was in the shape of a giant U. And around the table were cushions, not chairs, where people could recline. The host would sit at the top of the U. The most honored guest would be to his right and the second most honored guest would be to their left. The seating chart then went back and forth until you reached the lowest seat, which was the furthest away from the host. And where you sat at the meal was a statement about your social standing. And the closer you could get to the host, the more important you were considered. And if you tried kind of slipping up a place or two, you might actually increase your standing within the group. And if you stepped kind of too far close to the host, they would ask you to move and be moved further away and you would be shamed in front of everyone else. And so in Luke 14, they arrive at the Pharisees' banquet. And jesus immediately sees all the religious people jockeying for the best seat at the table the whole thing was shallow and selfish the mentality was i want what's best for me and i don't really care what happens to anybody else and when religious people get that mindset we are off course so jesus says don't take the best seat take the worst seat and he rebukes them by teaching that we should take that worst seat now He's got two strikes against him. First he heals on the Sabbath, that's a religious no-no. Then he rebukes them for wanting the best seat in the house, okay? Religious people aren't liking Jesus. This is the context of which the parable we'll read together now. Luke 14, verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets in the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still more room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This week, in preparation for this morning, I read countless stories of people by happenstance applying this scripture literally, okay? One was the story of a woman who was getting married. She planned a huge wedding banquet. It was going to be held at the Hyatt Hotel and it cost $13,000. After everything had been planned and paid for, the groom dumped her. When she tried to cancel, she couldn't get the money back because the food and everything had already been purchased She decided to go ahead with the party. Now, years before she had gone through a really difficult time and had lived in a homeless shelter. Now she would be the one who invites the down and outs. So she invited every person at the local homeless shelters, invited them to this lavish banquet. For dinner, they served boneless chicken in honor of the groom. Homeless people were served this fancy meal on fine china with a band playing. That is a good picture of the church and of the kingdom of God, a person who used their brokenness to bless. What a vision, what a picture of the kingdom of God. In first century Israel, invitations would have been sent out prior to the occasion. And barring an emergency or conflict of interest, those invited would have been expected to attend. They would not have known the exact time of the banquet, but they would have known the day so that on that day, they would have been dressed and ready at dawn. And when it was time to eat, the servants would come to their house and announce, now is the time to come to the banquet. They would immediately leave their home and head to the feast. The first invitation was to announce the feast and the reason behind it. And then the second one was to call the people to the table. The guests would arrive and the party would begin. This was the result that the listeners would have expected in Jesus telling the story. But you know how Jesus loves the twist? So the servant goes, the second invitation. And everyone has an excuse. What is your go-to excuse? When someone invites you to something that you don't wanna go to, it's it's really hard to be honest. It's really hard to say, no thanks, it doesn't sound fun. What's your excuse? What's your go-to? Oh, I'm sorry, the, the kids are, they're under a little bit of something. They got something at school or I've got a work thing, I've got an appointment. I don't know what your excuse is. In our parable, Jesus says that everyone made excuses, but he mentions specifically three. The first excuse is found in verse 18. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. So the first excuse is possessions. No one would make this type of investment without inspecting it first. And if he wanted, he could have waited one more day to inspect the field. It was obvious to the listeners that this guy was using an acquired possession as an excuse not to accept the offer made by the host. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. The second excuse is work. A man bought a donkey from an old farmer for a hundred bucks. The farmer agreed to deliver the donkey the very next day. Come morning, the farmer drove up and said, sorry, but I've got some bad news, the donkey died. So he says, well then, give me my money back. He says, I can't do that, I've already spent it. Okay, well then, just unload the dead donkey. He goes, what are you gonna do with him? He goes, well, I'm gonna raffle him off. You can't raffle off a dead donkey, said the farmer. Sure I can, watch me, I just won't tell anyone he's dead. A month later, the farmer met up with the guy and asked him what happened with the dead donkey. He says, I raffled them off. I sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece and made a profit of $898. He says, didn't no one complain? And he said, yeah, just the guy who won. So I gave him his two bucks back. Now, in the first century, no one would have purchased 10 oxen without making sure they were healthy and able to do the job. He would have tried them out before he purchased them the listener would have recognized this flimsy excuse and the insult that it was when a team of oxen was sold in the middle east prospective buyers would go to the field watch the animals and then they drive them back and forth to make sure their strength and there is evenness in their pole and all this took place before the price was even mentioned you wouldn't buy a used car without first test driving it okay this was a common practice The transparent nature of the excuse is unmistakable and yet as with the first one the second is very polite which cannot be said for the third verse 20 still another said i just got married so i can't come the third excuse is religion why because the third man is misusing the bible to justify not going deuteronomy 24 tells us that a newly married man was exempt from military service for one year, but that didn't get him out of every other social obligation. In fact, what this guy says is really a rather rude and crude statement. Men didn't discuss their wives or daughters in social settings. As a matter of fact, if you heard someone's wife was sick and then you asked how she was doing, the likely reply would have been, it's none of your business. Because when you're asking about someone else's wife or daughter, it was the same at making a a pass at them. So what this guy was saying was, I'd go to your dinner, but I'm busy with a woman. And the statement was meant to offend and infuriate the host. In the parable, everyone made an excuse. Possessions, work, religion, family. What's your excuse? The three in our parable, their excuses are pretty lame. Our excuses are no less lame. God, I'm, I'm too busy. God, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm in a weird place right now and I've gotta take care of this or I've gotta take care of that. What is your excuse? My junior varsity football coach in 1996 said this, excuses are like armpits. We've all got them and they all stink. Excuses are a way for us to instantly get what we want but not ultimately what we need. What does God call you to? And what is your excuse? Now, it is the end of the parable where we get the real provocation. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still more room. Then, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. No longer is this an invitation based on social standing. It's not based on equality with the host. This invitation is based on one thing and one thing only. The graciousness of the host and the abundance of their resources and their desire to fill every seat at the table. Jesus doesn't care what your social standing is, what your ability level is, what your income is, how moral you are. This is a free for all. Whoever wants in gets in. I want a full house. I have the ability to feed everyone. The invitation was once restricted is now open to all. This is the image Jesus gives when he's sitting at a dinner, talking to all the people who believe that they're the ones holding the invitation to God's party. He's talking to people who are confident they're gonna be at the table. They follow the religious rules. In fact, they're the guardians of religious rules. They're wealthy, they're healthy, they're religious. And Jesus says, God is throwing a party and everyone's invited. And you all who think the party is just a special party just for you and God, you're the ones who are gonna miss out. The master says, go and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. I don't know if I love that word, compel, okay? compelling people to come to church, reminds me of a story about a rabbit and a snake. The rabbit and the snake had a meeting in the forest. And the rabbit said, we don't know how we look. Why don't we describe each other to the other so that we'll know how we'll look? And so the snake said, good idea. You've got a pink nose, long ears, and a fluffy little tail. And the rabbit liked that. And he said, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit. The snake said, okay, now you describe me. And the rabbit said, well, you have a forked tongue, shifty eyes, and diamonds all over you. And the snake said, oh no, I'm a televangelist. Go and compel them to come. Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Easter's next week. We're having two big services. Are we supposed to compel people? Hey, you want to come to Prodigal Church's Easter services? No, I'm good, thanks. Well, I don't think you have a choice in the matter, okay? I must compel you. The master said we need a full house. That is absolutely not what the parable is saying. Have you ever been offered something that you really want, but you decline just so that the offer might be insisted upon? John, would you like some milk duds? Oh, no, 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 thank you. I'm good, I'm good. Please, John, I insist." Okay, if you insist. And then I go to town on those chocolatey caramels. I think this is more what is going on in this parable. The unexpected guest might be starving, but still senses a cultural pressure to refuse. The master knows that. As as a matter of courtesy, he knows they're going to refuse. That's why he says, compel them, insist. The word compel means insistent hospitality. I like that, insistent hospitality. When a stranger outside a city was invited to a great banquet, he assumes the host doesn't really mean it, but he's just acting in uh, you know, a cultural fashion. So the servant convinces him, insists, takes his arm, pulls him to the feast, and all along, this poor stranger, this wounded outcast is thinking, this is too good to be true. He can't mean it. I don't deserve it. I have no way of ever paying him back. And Jesus says, compel them. Not because they don't want to go, but because they felt unworthy to go. Some of us don't feel worthy. Some of us don't feel like we're good enough. Some of us think that a God who fully loves us, a God who knows all I've done wrong, a God who knows the darkness within, a God who fully embraces us, a God who desires us, it's too good to be true. For those of us who are struggling with what we've done, with who we are, with our unworthiness, to accept the invitation. The table is open. The invitation is here. If you are not at the table, what's your excuse? And if you are, who are you inviting to join you? Lord Jesus, thank you for this open invitation to all. God, that no one is excluded, that everybody is welcome at the table. God, I pray that we as a church would take that to heart and that we would welcome everyone to the table. Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. And God, this week, leading up to Resurrection Sunday, may we be reflecting on your goodness, reflecting on the cross and the victory that you won on that first Easter. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, this week, we wanna encourage you to follow along on our Holy Week devotionals. They're available uh, every day this week and with a service special service on Good Friday leading up to Resurrection Sunday, 9.30 and 11 here in Fresno or online on demand at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. We hope you have an amazing week. Happy Easter, He is risen.